I want us to turn to uh, the Ten Commandments. We've been here for several weeks. We're at the Ninth Commandment this morning, Exodus chapter 20. And as, our, uh, as we get into this, let's stand for God's Word as we read it together. We're going to begin here with verse 1 and read down through verse 16. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children of the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the Sabbath day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. May God add his blessing to his word. Please be seated. Years ago, Mary and I watched the popular sitcom Seinfeld. I don't know if any of you were fans of that in its day, but I was recently reminded of an episode where Jerry, Elaine, Kramer, and George were invited by a friend to go to a, uh, spend the weekend at the Hamptons. Well, the owner of the home where they were staying had just had a baby who was, all, by all accounts, not easy on the eyes. So there is this real uh, frustration and tension building in the episode to figure out how do we react favorably when we see this, this child, this Winston Churchill's wrinkly lookalike. So Jerry and Elaine are forced, while trying to shield their eyes, to come up with adjectives searching for something kind to say about the baby when it's obvious that they're just repulsed upon looking at it. Well, then a rather handsome pediatrician arrives and he compliments Elaine and he says, you are breathtaking. Well, she is struck by that comment. How flattering. She just loves it. But then he turns to the baby and says the same thing. The baby is breathtaking. Well, of course, Elaine is forced to reevaluate his initial comment. Is the doctor, is the doctor dashing? Absolutely. Is he trustworthy? Well, that's very much in question. And so the principle is this, our speech reveals our character. Psalm 116 verse 11 says it simply, everyone is a liar. In 2002, 
A University of Massachusetts study found that 60% of people lied at least once during a 10-minute conversation and in fact told an average of two to three lies during that conversation. The study also, interestingly to me, also found that women told different lies than men. They were different in content, but not in quantity. Women were more likely to make the person they were talking to, they would lie to make them feel good. Men most lied often enough to make themselves look better. I thought that was interesting. The Bible says in Isaiah 65, 15, that God is the God of truth. Hebrews 6, 18 says, it is impossible for God to lie. Numbers 23, 19 declares, God is not a man that he should lie. And of course, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And because God is truth, as the ones through faith who are chosen to follow him, we are to develop the very character of God. We therefore must be truth bearers. We must tell the truth and live in it. God wants us to be truthful because he wants us to be like him. In Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, God includes abuses of the tongue as three of these things that he hates most. Listen to this. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Revelation 21.8 shows us how seriously God takes lying. Jesus says, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magical arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Psalm 51.6, David tells us of God, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. And so we come to the ninth commandment. The ninth commandment declares simply, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, specifically, we need to note that this word applied to a court of law, where truth in that day could be a literal matter of life and death, because you need to understand that Israel's law codes contained many crimes for which there would be the death penalty. And because of that, its justice system relied on the corroborating testimonies of two or three witnesses to establish a person's guilt or innocence. In Deuteronomy 16, 21, what we see is that this was so foundational and important to Israel's justice system that it, the Bible set forth a rule that if a man did give false testimony against someone in court, that whatever penalty would have been meted out to the innocent person, that was then to be turned around and put on the guilty person who had made a false witness. The scripture says, the rest of the people will hear of this and be afraid, and never again will such an evil be done among you. 
God takes lying seriously. But I want you to know that this commandment goes beyond the courtroom. We are told to avoid falsehood concerning anything against our neighbor. So when we lie, we alienate ourselves from God, but also from those around us, our neighbors. Lying is wrong because it undermines our relationship with other people. Ephesians 4.25 tells us, Each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. You see, the reality is that relationships are built on trust, and you break that trust, and the relationship breaks down. This makes me think of the guy who saw a sign in front of a house that read, Talking Dog for Sale! So he, he went up and he rang the doorbell and struck a, a conversation with the owner and, and asked if he could see the dog. Well, he said the dog's in the backyard. And so the guy went around the house and, and he asked the dog, can, can you really talk? And the dog said, yep. Well, the man responded, well, go ahead, tell me your story. Well, the dog looked up and said, well, I, I discovered my gift of talking pretty young. So I told the CIA, and in no time they had me sitting in rooms with world leaders because no one figured a dog would be eavesdropping. So the travel, however, really got to me, tired me out, so I signed up for a job at the airport to do some undercover security work. But now I'm, I'm just retired. The guy was really impressed. Couldn't believe what he was experiencing. So he went to the owner and he said, how much do you want for this dog? The owner said, $10. What? $10? Why in the world would you give this amazing dog away so cheaply? This dog is amazing. The owner said, he's a big liar. He didn't do any of that. You can't believe a word he says. <laughs> you know, once you, once you lose confidence in a person's truthfulness, that relationship changes. It breaks down. Respect is diminished. Confidence is lost. Another reason I, I think God takes lying seriously is, let's face it, it hurts ourselves. Lying is almost always an effort to cover up sin in our own lives. Instead of honestly facing our sin and repenting of it, we try to bury it under a pack of lies. You remember the story of Cain murdering Abel, and God confronts him and asks, Cain, where is your brother? Abel says, well, am I my brother's keeper? I don't know. David commits adultery with Bathsheba, and he lies to her husband to try to cover it up. And of course, that went even further. Sarah, I remember the story of Sarah, one of my favorites in the Old Testament of uh, when, when God comes through a messenger and he announces that she is going to give birth to a child in her old age, she laughs at the promise. And God asks her, did I hear you laughing? And Sarah lies and said, oh no, I wasn't laughing. In the New Testament, in the early church, you have Ananias and Sapphira. Remember that story as they presented their gifts and said, well, we gave everything that we sold this property for to the church community. 
and they lied to cover up their greed because they kept something for themselves and they paid for it with their lives. You see, lying covers up our sin and God wants us to confront our sin and repent of it. But lying is the exact opposite of that. As a result, it almost always grows progressively worse. And the reality is you can become so ingrained in lying, you don't know the difference between falsehood and truth. I heard about a golfer who lied about his score so much that one day when he finally got that hole in one, he wrote down zero on the scorecard. You gotta be a golfer to understand that, I guess. Most of you must not be golfers. I thought Pastor Rich would appreciate that though. Now, even though the Bible regards lying as a serious offense, how often do we find ways to break this commandment? For example, and let me give you several, there's the lie of desperation. When we get ourselves into deep trouble, our first inclination is to lie our way out. We rationalize. You know, I'm really honest most of the time, but sometimes a person has to lie for self-preservation. Simon Peter did exactly that on the night that Jesus was arrested. Do you remember the story? He followed Jesus into the courtroom, or into the courtyard, I should say, where the trial was going to take place, and he warmed himself by the fire. But someone in the, the light of the flames begins to recognize Peter is one of Jesus' disciples. The pressure is on. Peter says, oh no, I don't know the man. That doesn't happen just once. It happens twice and it happens three times. He even swears to further distance himself from Jesus. Somebody said, a lie is an abomination to God, but a very present help in times of trouble. And so when we're desperate, we can take create all kinds of fabrications to cover it up. Officer, my speedometer must be broke. I tried to call you, but never made a connection. The car broke down, the computer froze, the dog ate my homework. Of course, then there's the lie of deception. And what I mean by that is this. This is a lie which is just a portion of the truth, just a portion. It's not that you, you didn't say anything that wasn't untrue, you just didn't tell the whole truth. Parents are away from home and the teenager, against the parents' instructions, throws a wild party until 3 a.m. The next day, mom, dad, call, what'd you do last night, son? Oh, just stayed home, watched some television. Now, that might be true, but it's not the whole truth. But remember, a lie is a deliberate misrepresentation of what one believes in their own mind to be true. It's partial. It, 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 it is possible, I should say, for us to tell the partial truth and be deceptive. It's possible to tell a lie and not say a word. I heard about a teenage boy who was told to be home at midnight. He snuck into the house around 2 a.m. Fortunately, his parents were asleep. 
Unfortunately, as he went up the steps, he hit the creaky step, and on the way up to his bedroom, Mom and Dad woke up. Dad asked, Is that you, Jimmy? Yes, it is. What time is it? The father asked. Before the teen could respond, the cuckoo clock in the hallway struck two. Cuckoo, cuckoo. And the boy had the most ingenious moment of his life as he stood on those steps and ten more times said, Cuckoo, cuckoo. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. I love that. But a lie is a deliberate misrepresentation of the truth. Of course, then there's the business lie. You know, it's estimated that one in three Americans lie about their education or their credentials on their resume in order to get a job. One in three. And how often, lying is all too often a common occurrence in business. To make a sale, we lie about the competition, we fudge our numbers. We promise that delivery date when we know it's not going to happen. And we could go on and on. There's the student's lie, or we might call it cheating. Remember, a lie, again, is a deliberate attempt to misrepresent, to deceive. And when you put down an answer that you didn't come by because of what you know, what you have learned, that's a lie. And, of course, the Internet has provided all kinds of opportunities. Students get a whole entire essays written online and websites. The social lie is very common. These are lies that we tell other people so that they won't be offended. It's probably one of our most prominent lies. And we think it's most justifiable because it consists of telling other people what they want to hear to encourage them. You know, your hair is really beautiful. The sermon was so interesting heard that one you played a great game and one of the things that I struggle with probably and I don't know where this goes necessarily on the moral scale but sometimes I'll see someone in church or someone outside of church and think I should know them and of course there is that point in a relationship that you have with someone where it's probably improper to ask them their name You've talked to them, you've spent time with them, and yet you go blank, and so you pretend, and yet you know that there's going to come a moment when you're going to have to know their name, and you're going to get caught, and I've done that more times than I can, so please, just, just tell me your name right up front, over and over and over again. Save me that embarrassment. Because sometimes, let's, let's be honest, preachers are the worst, I've heard this. I've heard that preachers don't lie. They just remember big. Sometimes we think that as a pastor, we have a license to twist the truth, to make the point, but we can, if we're not careful, lose credibility and integrity. Preachers can exaggerate to impress. A preacher was asked how many people attended his church on Sunday. He said, well, we have between eight and 900. Well, a bulletin happened to fall out of his Bible at the conference, and someone went over and picked it up, and he looked at the bulletin, and it, this person said, you know, this reports that you had 45 in attendance last Sunday. Well, of course, the man said, well, 45 is between eight and 900. 
You know, that, that's the kind of point I want to make this morning. All of us can get into trouble when we don't discern the difference between character and reputation. Character is the true fact about you. It is who you are. It is what you are. It's what you are deep down. Reputation, on the other hand, is what other people might think about you. It's what they see or perceive of you on the outside. And as long as we keep this in perspective, I think it's fine. But when we reverse those in importance and we think our reputation is more important than our character, that's where we get into trouble. And we begin to misrepresent ourselves. And we break this commandment. New to our age, to me, and so rather troubles me, because I've spoken on it before, are the lies of social media, the so-called fake news. I've seen many, many Christians become very susceptible in this age of misinformation and actually then become disseminators of falsehood. Proverbs 28, 18 explains, the one who lives with integrity will be helped, but the one who distorts right and wrong will suddenly fall. I remind you this morning that Jesus said, the truth will set you free. Which means that any lie and distortion of the truth or propagation of falsehood undermines the freedom we have. I see that freedom under attack in our very nation today. So when you see that story on Facebook that may agree with your bias, because we all come at it from a perspective and a bias, we want to repost it immediately. But because it agrees with our bias, we don't bother to make sure it's accurate. Listen, there are many groups and even many preachers out there that will label themselves as Christians or for Christianity, but will outright lie to manipulate you. And you may say, well, pastor, what if I can't tell the story is, is fake or not? Well, learn to do some research. Snopes.com can be your best friend. And if you don't know how to do that research, don't post it or repost it. If you have not, will not, or cannot confirm that story, don't share it. Christians, I believe that we have a higher standard than the, the best journalists. We aren't protecting the reputation of an organization or a website. Remember, we bear the name of Jesus, our King. And if our friends and our families cannot trust us with that type of news, many will not listen when we share, seek to share the good news of the gospel. I appreciate some of the writings of Ed Stetzer on this topic He's from the dean. Of, he's the dean of uh, the School of Mission, Ministry, and Leadership at Wheaton, and he wrote this. And it's an extensive. I wanted to quote him extensively this morning. 
He wrote, even if the truth doesn't seem favorable to us, we don't have to go looking for an opposing story. We have a hope in something greater. We believe that truth is personified in a person, Jesus. When we dishonor the truth, we dishonor Jesus. He goes on, I'm saddened that many Christians are being included in the groups that create their own facts. Unfortunately, more and more people are noticing this to be the case. Gullible or conspiracy-spreading Christians simply do not help these perceptions. Instead, they feed the impression that evangelicals are simply unwilling to face the truth. And then he says, and this is right on, if unchurched people think that they must commit intellectual suicide to become Christians, it hinders the work of gospel proclamation and cultural engagement. Church, I think it's time in this way we look at ourselves. We embrace the truth because Jesus said the truth sets us free. We don't need to be afraid of the truth. Albert Moeller, some of you know that name. I follow his podcasts on a daily basis. But he wrote, God's people are of the truth. We are to honor and tell the truth. We are to defend the truth, discern the truth, to love the Bible as the word of God that is truth without any mixture of error, and to stand for the truth. We are to uphold the truth, even if the whole world disbelieves, hates, and subverts the truth. We are the people of the truth for one single and irreducible reason. Our God is true. Some of you may be familiar with the uh, song by Casting Crowns, The Voice of Truth. One of the lines of that song says this, Out of all the voices calling out to me, I will choose to listen and believe the voice of truth. This morning, I want to invite you to listen to that voice. And perhaps one of the hardest things we need to do is when we encounter that voice, we will have to face the truth about ourselves. The reality is, maybe this morning, we need to come true. Admit that in this area, we are failing and we have fallen short. And we are liars. The Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But let me, let me put it this way. Paul writes in 1 Timothy, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. In other words, this is true. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. The whole truth is that Jesus Christ came to save sinners sinners a sinner like me truth is i am a sinner he is the truth he is a savior 
and you can trust him. Will you pray with me? Father, I pray that you would teach us how to live in the truth. That you would teach us how to live in you. And that, Lord, through the power of your Spirit working in our lives, we would become more truthful. That we would be honest. That because we love our neighbor, we would cling to truth. I pray that your church will develop a reputation because of its character. That within the church, Lord, we long to know the truth, knowing that it is the truth that sets us free. Lord, we know your character. We know who you are. Would you make us more like you? Help us, dear Jesus. Help us this morning to recognize the truth about ourselves and where we are falling short. And Lord, when we see that truth, may we not be afraid to confront it. Because with that same mouth that we have spewed falsehoods, we can declare that you are God and you are our Savior. We can confess our sins, and if we confess our sins, that is the truth, we will receive forgiveness of sins, and you will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, help us this morning, one by one, to say yes to your truth. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.